0: This is the Epilogue Audio Experience.
1: The language and content on this podcast may be unsuitable for certain audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
0: Welcome back to History Chatter. This is the 10th and the final episode of the series Bombay Ball. You'll know that over the last uh, three months or so we've been running this series on Bombay City, especially how Bombay City comes on its own since the late 1860s or so. We started with uh, Harbour, the Bombay Harbour then we moved to um, the Maidan. We looked at The financial crisis of 1860s we looked at the birth of postal services in bombay we looked at uh, how hospitality services came in and had a longish episode on watson hotel finally in the last episode we were talking about uh, the voice of bombay meaning we're talking about uh, the journalism uh, mouthpiece the mouthpiece of the nationalist movement the bombay chronicle the newspaper Um, I had been planning to run the final episode as uh, a history of Bollywood or movies in Bombay. Then I started reading up uh, for a while. Um, I understood that it would take me a much longer period of study and writing to put together an episode on uh, Bombay and cinema. So um, I did the next best thing. I decided to turn to a living legend, an encyclopedia on Bombay City and Bombay cinema. That is uh, Mr. Amrit Gangar. Mr. Gangar has been researching uh, films and Bombay at once, I suppose, for more than 40 years now. And um, I ran to him. How do I introduce him is a bit of a challenge. He is a film scholar, a curator, a writer, a researcher, a documentary filmmaker. He's done over close to 30 books or so on Charlie Chaplin, on Saurabh Modi, on Bimal Roy, Satyajit Roy, on Bombay City, Bombay Cinema, 100 years of cinema in Bombay. He's been a film society movement veteran. And the list goes on and on and on. So I um, decided to ask him a series of questions on Bombay, which he's uh, very patiently uh, decided to consider and response. My primary brief was to, to look at how film as a medium cinema as, as an expression um, grows at the same time as Bombay as a city. And the two together in some way uh, contribute to the growth and development of one another in India. And over time, Bombay emerges as the capital of filmmaking in India. So the first question I ask uh, Mr. Gangar is this. Uh, how do the films as such, made in Bombay, reflect the spirit of Mumbai or Bombay. And I I refer to the word spirit here to to mean a sense of adventure, daring, hustle, risk-taking, and a certain kind of aspiration common to those who make films and those who watch it to to convey a spirit of uh, adventure, risk-taking, aspiration, and generally of dreams and a promising future. How do you see these two forces come together in Bombay? Films, aspirations and the spirit of Mumbai.
1: Yes. First of all, I thank you Anirban for inviting me to this uh, conversation. Uh, if I go back to your question, I think you also used the word how do Hindi films? You used yes. the term Hindi films and not just films. Right uh, Now, there is, a, there is a question that I have. This linguistic nomenclature hindi goes against the grain or spirit of the city of mumbai as i feel it Uh, i will be using this term mumbai or bombay variously during our conversation because mumbai for marathis or gujaratis has always been mumbai and it's not an invention if someone thinks it is something new no mumbai samachar is the oldest continuously newspaper. published newspaper in Gujarati. You refer to Bombay Chronicle. Absolutely. It is oldest in Asia. A few a few years ago I had carried my column on the city of Mumbai, this very paper, which later came out as a book and is deeply perspective uh, or perceptive forward. Has been written by the well-known filmmaker Shyam Is 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 quite a uh, popular book by now. Uh, Benegal Saab, as you know, is nearing 90 today and is still active. So he he has seen Mumbai over so many years. I have seen Mumbai over so many years, at least 60 years, 65 years. In short, I would request you to change the linguistic nomenclature from Hindi to Hindustani. It is important. I think it was during the 1970s. Hindustani became Hindi in the records of boards, which boards, which is called Central Board of Film Certification. Hindustani was more inclusive. And Bombay really loved this term. It also included Urdu, which was the language of many film and people of India. First, very first film, Alamara, was Urdu. Uh, how can you neglect that? Now, I will come back to Hindi that you use, is there really a language called Hindi? I doubt. <laughs> Hindi is not a language. I could go, not towards north, yeah. go towards north and you will find Maithili, Avati, Bhojpuri, Magati, Brajbasa and and uh, uh, and various other, other languages, uh, Bundeli, Bageli, Kanauji. These are the languages people speak, including Urdu. They don't speak Hindi, no. Tulsi uh, Tulsidas wrote the Ramayana, uh, not in uh, Hindi language, no. So this is the misnomer that is being spread by, by I think, um, sensible nomenclature or even uh, film scholars, I think. But it has to be questioned. The Hindustani uh, nomenclature has to be re-established or relocated, go towards north uh, and uh, then uh, I don't think it is real people's language, the Hindi. I think the greatest contribution of the so-called Bollywood, and this is again important aspect I see in Bollywood, the greatest contribution of the so-called Bollywood film is the creation of his own language, Bambaya. It, it, it's so inventive about it, which registered the linguistic moralism. You know, Hindi has his own moralism, and his hoi paroi barely cares for the chasteness, there is no chastity attached to language in in Bollywood. It's purity or suddhata. There is no Sudd Hindi, no. It's, it's, it's the wrong term. It breaks the barriers between the sacred and the profane. Bollywood does that. I, I'm not talking about that in terms of space, like Mani Call had referred to Abheda Akas, undivided space, uncloven space. Not but in terms of linguistic uh, linguistic uh, firmament. The Hindi language is formulated in Mumbai's local trains where you will find the production of newer slangs, newer phrases, which is a continuous process every day. It has changed over a period of time. But I remember the way Mumbai local trains invented language all the time. It mixes the southern languages. This Mumbai, such as Tamil, Telugu, Kannada and Malayalam beside Parsi Gujarati, also there and North Gujarat Gujarati. Mahatma Gandhi had imagined this as Hindustani. Marathi in all states, or Bhojpuri, other North Indian languages, all are coming into this called Rome, called call Hindustani, or Bambaya language. And you will find the expressions such as Padela hai, Dekela hai, Soela hai, Khadela hai, all these kind of expressions, you know, which are very Bombay. A new four letter words, Gali which I call the anal- analgesic pills. Galis are very, very important in our life.
0: Without galis,
1: you can't, you can't survive. And B- Bombay local train invents new galis, four-letter words. They work like preventive medicines, these, these four-letter words that Mumbai produces. They both provoke and stop physical brawls in Mumbai's local train. If there is fight, you know, physical fisticuffs. These Gali's coming to fore and they try and pacify. They are analgesic. Someone should compile a lexicon, at this moment I'm thinking, of these words given by Bollywood since it acquires its own tongue in 1931. Then the film started talking. And this is, I think, uh, should be done in this Ajadika Amrit Mossad. Someone should do that, this lexicon of these, these, uh, these Bollywood um, words that, uh, that it has invented right from 31. Well, language belongs to people and popular Mumbai cinema gives it back to people in a new masala form. We call Bombay, Bollywood masala film. This masala of mixing of the Navarasa has been Bollywood's continuous pickle factory. Bollywood, Bollywood is a pickle factory. You will find this facet even in the entire body of Saeed Miza's work or Muzaffar Ali's Gaman or many of the B and C great films we normally ignore. I think it's very serious thing that we should study B and C film. Uh, and Muslim, uh, Islamic uh, film, like Mere Garib Nawaz, you know. You will find Bombay as a site there. and Most of these films as a construction site or whatever. And these are, I think for me, these are important films that we should be taken, uh, taken cognizance of. Where they have, where, where these, uh, these uh, films disappear, BNC films, I, I would like uh, in our conversation, I don't see them now. What has happened to the eternal dynamism of language? I don't see that now. So let us retain the term Hindustani irrespective of the sensor board preference for whatever reason. That, I think, crept in ni- late 1970s after emergency, when the Janata government came in. <clears throat> Krishna Ardwani was the INB minister. I also disagree with the way you define your sense of Bombay spirit, Anirban, which includes making money and name and persistent struggles towards it. This will be a very populist, not even popular perception of my city, as I have known my city. Mumbai is a resolutely existential city. Around 55% of Mumbai's population lives in slums. Though we see the high rise building, but most of them live in more than 55% live in slum. That is about 7 million people living in slum. That is more than one whole of Denmark. There are so many Denmark's living in this city in slum. Mumbai is a city of cities. Its east and west sides are divided by rail tracks and not by the river, by a river as the city of Paris is, this north and south. Uh, Mumbai is a proletarian city and that is proud of his working class, representing the whole of India. The whole of India is represented here by the working class. This vast mass of human beings slogs to survive. It slog for hours together. It just goes back home when his or her children are asleep and we go to work when his or her children are asleep to say that it is running after money will be to qualify them as greedy no they are not greedy they are not running after money the popular bollywood cinema has kept exposing this contradiction in early Raj Kapoor's film for example or K.A. Abbas's film and many others, you will see this film in the films of the 50s and 60s and some films of the 40s. And Marathi film, which is also part of Mumbai Bollywood, you know, I would call that Bollywood. Gauche Shahane, for example, Raja Paranjpe made this film. They are about migration and the city of Mumbai. And we have to include those, those, uh, those sentiments too. Mumbai, the city of textile mills, once employed lakhs of workers, as you know, Everybody is a migrant, exceptionally nobody is a resident of Mumbai car, who lived in Charles. These workers lived in Charles, the Mumbai ghettos. Against the sea of human mass, you had a handful of bourgeois capitalists. Yes, Mumbai does give opportunities to make money. Mumbai gives across the board, everyone. The mother Mumbai, Mumbai, Mumbai Devi. The, the city goddess distributes these opportunities like ravery, which is the present term in circulation very wrongly. Uh, opportunities like ravery, Mumbadevi distributes like everyone, as prasad, and had no selfish political conjunction. This ravery is from the city goddess herself. But if you look at history, this ravery was appropriated by the already privileged. They, they were the ones who, who appropriated this revenue given by the, the goddess of the city, who appropriated the historic opportunities and amassed wealth out of two commodities. This again important aspect of the growth of the city. Who appropriated these two commodities? These two commodities are important to the city of Mumbai, cotton and opium. If you call Mumbai the textile city, it is also the opium city. Amar Farooqi has written a book called Opium City, the making of early Victorian Mumbai. The cotton was a bonanza offered by the American Civil War up in the 1860s and had direct impact on the city of Mumbai. But who made the money? Not the working class. No, they didn't make the money. The speculators made the money, the Satta Bazaar. And we have the Rajabai Tower in front of us these are interesting twists and turns of history they were of course philanthropists and they, they donated a lot of lot of money towards the making of this city these are interesting twists and turns of history that you cannot alienate from the history of cinema of mumbai or people at large when we talk about cinema this aspect comes in one of the central in central capital investors of dadasaheb phalke was a gujarati brahmin who was a textile tycoon, Maya Shankar Bhatt. Mind you, a Brahmin, not a Vaishya. Later, more investors entered the Falke enterprise, first known as Falke film and later as Hindustan cinema film company, when shifted to Nasi. Bombay has been developing a strange caste class chemistry, which I would venture uh, and say it is secular. Because it emerges out of commerce and trade and not from religion and ritual. Uh, let me finish this uh, this small passage, uh, uh, which I think is uh, significant for our discourse. When you call the Bombay spirit, is to me Bombay ness. This is how I call it, Mumbai panna. Now I would like to startle and surprise my listeners a bit. You know, I find Bombay ness or the Bombay spirit in the very first silent feature film, Raja Chandra made by Dada falke who thought the film uh, who through the film retold Makandeya purana story of the truthful king Chandra. it was Makandeya purana it's a purana story to me though it is genreified as mythological i see it as a sort of modern urban fable this very film so 1913 film falke uses two simple elements to eroticize again i'm, I'm coming back to the elements what what are these two simple elements which through which he eroticizes the female female body and male gaze? Water and cotton. Water comes back. Water is very, very quite quint essential to Mumbai city. And cotton, of course, we call it Manchester. We he knew our own aesthetics of erotica, inherited over centuries, percolating down through Kalidasa. And then through Raja Ravi Varma, with whom he had worked. In Raja Chandra, the film, which was made in Bombay, Palki employed these two simple elements, water and fabric, and produced what I call the wet sari erotica. I call it wet sari erotica. His female actors were all male, but he padded them with voluptuous breasts, you know, if you look, look at the breasts, uh, and feminine mannerism. Taramati, for example, when she is in the swimming pool and when she comes out, uh, is is quite erotic. In 1913, I'm talking about, I'm I'm sure many male spectators must have gone uh, insane almost. This wet sari phenomenon was highly urban and Falke was an urban mind who knew the people's desire for the erotic. He was an urban mind, not a rural mind. He was a Mumbai mind. I cannot imagine Raja Harishchandra produced in any other city but Bombay. I cannot imagine the way Raja Harishchandra is produced in Bombay is produced in Calcutta. No, I cannot imagine that. I cannot imagine Raja Harishchandra, though we have only two reels two of this film in our archive, not all the four. I cannot imagine this film being produced in Madras, no, or Chennai. The way it is done by Falke, the urban mind. <clears throat> It carries a peculiar bombay and I would like to consider it the first film that evoked and provoked the Bombay spirit. This so-called mythological, to me, is is provoking or evoking Bombay spirit. Raj Kapoor carried it much forward, and is upholding the truth in Satyam Sivam Sundaram. He was retracing Falke somewhere in that film, as I see it and he knew how to employ the element of water to hoodwink the sensor, sensor cannot object to water right, or rain. All this was done when the modern medium of the moving image first emerged in India, Bombay made it possible. Falke was a Mumbai mind, this is how I interpret. Right,
0: I take this uh, this moment to to take you back to this last point you're making and add it up with my next question, which is you said uh, Raja Harishchandra could not possibly have been made in any other city, and it carries
1: not the way it is made exactly not
0: not with the kind of aesthetics with which it is made was very peculiar to Bombay, which you call Bombay ness. Um yes. now I'd ask my second question connecting with it, what is it about Bombay that eventually made it the film capital of India? Because even until nineteen thirties and nineteen early nineteen forties perhaps, nineteen thirties certainly, there were other cities which were in the running for that status Calcutta, Madras, Pune, even Falke himself uh, probably shifted to, to Nasik at some point. Um And uh, how does Bombay emerge probably in the 30s and certainly after the 40s as the leader, as the site where the greatest numbers of films are made and also as a quintessence of Indian filmmaking practice over the next 60, 70 years? What is that unique quality that distinguishes Bombay as the film capital of India?
1: Yes. Uh, now uh, I would like to make a small correction again in your question. You have included Nasik as a major film center, film producing center, which is wrong. Nasik never was. In fact, only Falke was there. Mm. Nasik was never a major center of filmmaking, or even a minor. We refer to it because Falke active shift there. It was Kolapur. Kolapur was, which was a major center, film produce, producing center. And we don't talk much about all Kolapur, which was in fact part of the Bombay presidency at that time. It was not out of Bombay at that time until 1949. The king, Shatrapati Sahu Maharaj, had encouraged establishment of film studios in Kolapur. It was he who invited Falke to Kolapur to make his swan song a sound film called Gangavataran in 1937. He was 70 then, Falke was 70 years old, almost on the verge of leaving this world. Kolapur has as many as four major film studios led by the Maharashtra Film Company of babura Painter and his cousin. It was Maharashtra Film Company that gave birth to Prabhat Film Company, which was based in Pune. Valji Pendakar was from Kolapur, a few years ago, I had visited Kolapur and saw all the sites of, of, the, of the studios. Did some sites uh, exist today. If you want to include South, I think Salem. Salem should be taken note of. Salem was an important center besides Madras. Founded by T.R. Sundram Mudalyar in 1935, the Modern Theatres Limited was a major film studio in South that produced 150 films until 1982, Salem we don't talk about. It produced films in Tamil, Telugu, Kannada, Malayalam, in the Sihalis, Silonis came to Salem to produce film and even English. The first Malayalam film Balan, talkie film, Balan was produced at, at, at this studio in Salem, Modern Theaters Limited. Well, Bombay was a natural port, coming back to your question. And that was the major attraction for being India's commercial capital as well as cinema capital. Calcutta was, but Bombay was a natural port which which connected many, many other other parts of the world. You know Maurice uh, Sestier, Marius Sestier, the Lumiere brothers representative was actually on his way to Australia got down at Bombay Port and showed the film first moving images or pictures on 7th July, 1896 at Washington Square. This Bombay became India's first city of to present Lumiere Brothers film because it was a port and it, uh, the Lumiere Brothers three-in-one gadget called Cinematograph. Harishchandra Sakaram Patwadekar or Dada Save, was present there, he was a camera equipment uh, Merchant or trader, and uh, he made India's first moving images, first moving pictures, but they don't survive. Bombay had the agility of reinvesting why Bombay became film capital, commercial capital. It had the agility of reinvesting the profit back into the film producing infrastructure. Calcutta didn't do this. It didn't reinvest. Film studios and cinema houses, they also reinvested into film studios and cinema houses, many, many, um, uh, just what you call the synergy, if you call this uh, uh, synergistic development of film studios, most of the big film studios had their own cinema houses, Minerva Moviton had cinema houses, Varya Moviton had cinema houses, it had the privilege of having the Parsi and Gujarati business acumen of running film studios which were massive setups. Most of this film, big, very big film studios, were owned by Parsis and Gujaratis. Except Bombay talkies, which was a mass cause. But on this board of, trust, board of governors, where most of them were Gujaratis. India's first pioneering studio was Kohinoor Film Company, modeled after the Assembly 9 Hollywood Film Studio. Kohinoor Film Company is extremely important in the history of Indian or Bombay. Established immediately after the First World War in 1919, Kohinoor was India's largest and the most influential silent studio, whose proprietor was a Hindu Bhatia gentleman, a Gandhian nationalist entrepreneur, Dwarka Das Sampat. The Kohinoor's 1921 silent film, Bhakt was one of the earliest anti-British films which was banned by the British in different parts of the country. 1921, this film openly wretched uh, uh, British colonialism and supports Gandhian movement. Directed by a Dalit, imagine, it, it is directed by a Dalit called Kanji rathod The film had chumped himself in the lead cast. By 1936, the city of Bombay had as many as 20 big film studios spread all over the city, north, south, east, west. Bombay had not one tolly gunge, it had many tolly ganges. It had the ability and agility to become a massive banyan tree. It cut across the lines of caste and creed, and if you look at the ownership of film studios and theatres, you will find this phenomenon. There may be some instances, contradictory instances, and it was this ethos that produced film naturally becoming a pan-Indian phenomenon in the process. It had imbibed the Hollywoodian spirit in a way developing its own brand without mimicking or copying. And therefore it could withstood Hollywood, Hollywood uh, onslaughts, which even France could not. Most of the cinema houses, which were showing Bollywood or Hollywood film, for example, uh, Eros cinema, water brothers or metro metro cinema metro goldwyn mayer they all t- stopped showing those films and started showing hindi film this is a very very important departure because bollywood could withstand the hollywood onslaught and there was, of course demographic demographic uh, change all through the years the elite of bombay were not the, elite, the English-speaking elite. I think this is what I think uh, I have made your point clear, uh, why Bombay.
0: Could not um, agree more on most of uh, those points. It's the spirit, a sort of ecumenical spirit of Bombay, the the spirit of accommodation, the spirit of... of uh, getting to work with a very diverse set of uh, Damatis personae, uh, as it were, that makes Bombay that that's unique, really the openness, broadly speaking, of the city as a, a, a melting pot of sorts. I, I, I could not agree more on the basic points, really. That sort of brings me to the third uh, broad set of questions, which is um, the way in which, over time, Bombay films or films with a peculiar Bombay-ness, if I were to paraphrase you now, eventually emerges as um, quote-unquote Indian films over time, say in the 50s, 60s, and 70s more particularly than before. How does this process pan out? How do Bombay films begin to be seen as Indian films per se? I mean, now that the Bombay had the kind of spirit that you speak about, which um, gives them their peculiar openness, what else contributes to this process of films made in Bombay being understood over time for the last 60 or so years as Indian films per se, as the mainstream Indian body of films?
1: I would like to go back to your original question where you used the term pan-Indian cinema, pan-Indian film. Uh, now we are saying Indian, but pan-Indian character. Yes, certainly. certainly. And you are also using the term Hindi film made in Bombay.
0: Yes, I I, I stand corrected there. I definitely stand corrected now. Right.
1: So, uh, this is again an important question. Uh, You know Bombay is the birthplace of Iranian and Persian films? First Iranian films are made in Bombay.
0: I'd I'd heard of it,
1: yes. And those two films, I've seen them in Tehran. Uh, Chasme Shahi and Dr. Elor.
0: Is it possible to see them in India? I Indian don't know, anything?
1: but I, I could see at uh, some private screening. At, at right, that. right. But they were, the point is they were made in the city wow. of Bombay.
0: Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Others uh, imperial film company produced them in the uh, 1930s, Bombay. In fact, eventually... Went on to develop a pan global character, not even pan Indian character. It, 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 it developed a pan global character in those days of internationalism and Panchashir. There was uh, Dr. Kotnitsky, uh, Amart- absolutely you go to China and then you then go to Russia, United, uh, USSR, while bands at the airport uh, sing Avaraham songs. You know, this kind of internationalism happened in those days. And this internationalism was much healthier than so called fake globalization, which, what we call today. Globalization has produced many more walls between humanities and nations. It did, indeed. It it you know, we, we haven't produced Dr. Courtney Skia Markahani, never. So, this is important. And they were all produced in Mumbai. The, Bombay. Bombay has that, that uh, global character. Not even, not only Indian, a global character. Of course, Indian they, it had. These are, of course, immediate post-independent stories. The Hindustani I'm talking, I'm referring to Nehruvian times. The Hindustani film that Bombay produced became temples of desire. You know, this term "temples of desire" was originally used, I think, by Chidanand Dasgupta, and then Vijay Mishra uses uses in his book Professor Mishra is from teaches in Australia uh, I know him personally and this film produced seductions and the sentiment that could have an all India appeal. We, we, we should not avoid this aspect of uh, seduction and eroticism and all that because it appeals to our our base sentiments you know. and we are we are used to all this we are, we, we are all examples of, of erotic examples every everywhere. Uh, we are not, not uh, immune to nudity. Not aside, at all. colonialism brought in. This whole moralism brought in by colonialism, I think we have to shed that. Uh, cinema imbibed that, unfortunately. Cinema imbibe that colonial, colonial inhibitions. The True colonial that moralism, unfortunately. Bollywood is struggling within itself to have this pan-Indian character, the idea of motherhood and lover it knew how to transform into an indian ethos across the land the motherhood played a very important role and lover premika in support post independent india also had hindi as a national language this also became a supportive uh, mm,
0: aspect. may i interact for a second hindi has never been a national language not national it's it's okay. a myth um, it's been one of the two link languages but uh, the idea of hindi being a national language is a myth although the government actively promoted hindi uh, with its money and with various kinds of encouragements institutional encouragements true uh, so <laughs> I'd, I'd be uh, one with you there national no <laughs> the thank
1: promote, you thank you gandhi advice. never wanted this gandhi never wanted yeah. this. no never never, never. Is some, some something happened yeah. later on? That's right. They thought Hindi could unite India, but yeah. I doubt because we saw the upsurges, registering upsurges in South in Tamil Nadu, Absolutely. kind of bloody riots. Absolutely, it was the film song that eventually became the pan-Indian phenomenon. Psst. I think the first big pan-Indian film was Gemini Studios bilingual Hindi and Tamil, Chandralekha, which was released in nineteen forty-eight. This film redefined the concept of mass entertainment. It also successfully broke into the domain of the Hindi cinema. Bombay had the capacity to absorb all these trends from different parts of India. It had the ability, as you said, open-mindedness. It had the ability to create new hybrid form. The hybridity is important. Form which we might call national. This national is hybrid. Without this hybridity, I don't think National exist. there is no sense of purity or suddhata. No, it's, it's, it's uh, too moralistic. So this fan nat- uh, nationalism was rooted into this, into this port city already. That had kept all its doors and windows open for the global winds to blow in without uprooting its spirit, as Gandhi would say that. Keep your doors and windows open from all the winds let them come in, blowing. The historical process is a continuum through the centuries-old folk theatre. This folk aspect is also important. It's is in continuum. The cinema can't break with it. And travelling companies which explored geographical expanses. There were many travelling companies, theatre companies, and later on film companies which were travelling across nation. Tanks in Tambu cinema, for example. I think in this process, the Parsi theater played a major role. Parsi theater is very important to Indian cinema. It seeped into many films produced by Sourav Modi, Wadia's, and the Iranis. We can go back to the Madhans who had a pan-Indian presence. The Calcutta-based Madhans produced an early sound film called Indra Sabha. In 1932, it would have broken the record of in fact, in the Parsi theater style. This Parsi theatre came into so-called Hindustani film. And this is important aspect of, of uh, when we talk about pan-Indian uh, character of this uh, film, uh, Bombay film. This film, Indra Sabha, had as many as 69 songs. We unfortunately we don't have the weather film, but it had almost 70 film songs in it. It was a musical. In short, <laughs> Behind this so-called pan-Indianness, I see the masala hybridity of typical Hindu sentiment. Hindu, Hindu is majority in this country. Hindu sentiments aggregated over centuries through the Ramayana icon and the Puranas. Ramayana icon was exploited even today. The popular Hindi cinema does that, Ma- either Mahabharat or Ramayana. It cannot oh, do without them. It just cannot do without them. And people of this country, they may be unlettered. they they detect this, this element, somewhere. They find Ramayana somewhere. Because they they can recite Tulchikrit Ramayana by heart in in North India, for example. Unlettered, what we call insultingly illiterate peasants. So this hybridity of the typical Hindu sentiment also played its role in making this uh, film uh, pan-Indian.
0: In character, yes. In
1: character. Why did Falke choose a Purana story? Now question is this, or for his first venture, why did he choose Raja Harishchandra and not something else? Because first it was, it had pan Indian appeal. Second, it was already a successful play. It was highly successful play. And he knew it can easily uh, translate into a market, into money, but this translation into market volume was also, is pan Indian means what? You have so much money getting into your coffers, right? It's not just Absolutely. sentimental pan Indian thing. Certainly, certain. And in plain terms, producers of the popular popular entertainment arrived aimed at the largest expanse of the box office. They are not philanthropists, mind you, they are film no. <laughs> producers. They know that their game very well. No, I, and I, pan- I, Indian,
0: I, Sudhuf would love to take that point forward. You're essentially suggesting that uh, the pan-Indian character of Bombay movies is essentially made up of a sensibility, which in some way reflects the majority Hindu religious sentiment. Um, exactly. Because I'm yeah. probably crudely summarizing it, but that's part of what you're suggesting. They like the
1: market, right? They like yeah, the 85% yeah, ma- exactly. of this the country's population. It, it
0: sells the most and it also makes commercial sense, perfect commercial sense. As
1: simple as that, as simple um, as that.
0: And it's a blend of commerce and religion and very clever marketing, absolutely. Exactly, because they I, wanted
1: to make profit. As simple as that, yes. any entrepreneur will like I, to make profit. And again,
0: um, bring us back from India to Bombay because this is the finale of a series on Bombay. So I'd request you now to tell us um, a story of a few breakthrough or outstanding films on Bombay. Um, uh, What are, in your mind, some of maybe two, three or four or as many as you wish, um, Hmm. some of the films that stand out as... um, As considering Bombay in its spirit or as its site of action, what are the typical, most outstanding Bombay films that you would recall for us? There are
1: many. There are many. The list would be so long that we uh, time will be short. But uh, let me go back to silent films. Absolutely. Indian silent men had a deep love relationship with the city of Bombay. Unfortunately, they are not extant. Unfortunately. But look at these titles which are in Gujarati because the producers of the films were Gujarati. I'm citing about five or six titles. Sure. They're interesting. All in 1925 to 1929. Mumbai ni Biladi. Mumbai ni Biladi is cat. Mumbai ni <laughs> Mohini. Mohini is, Mohini is seductress. Right. Mumbai ni Sethani, the rich woman. Mumbai, Mumbai no Mawali. Mawali is a gangster. Yes. Mumbai no Sattorio is, is, is a speculator. Sattori, yes. These were the films made on the city of Bombay in silent era. But unfortunately, we don't have this film. Unfortunately. But looking at the titles, you can imagine how how Bombay the seductress was was. was the central point of this film.
0: Yes, also, also times. slippery, slippery. Yes,
1: and uh, some of these were also made into films, For example, Mumbai Nibiladi, for example, that had nine nine different roles. I think in that film. multiple first film that had multiple roles. One of the early films on the city of Bombay is by a German. I'm sorry, I may not be so conventionally or cliche ridden uh, in in my list. Because no, I, I,
0: I, I'd rather have a list such as this than uh, a repetition of the conventional lists because here, um, mine is a history podcast and the primary objective is to draw out episodes from history that's, that's connected with the broader theme of the podcast. So yes. I'm much more grateful to you for doing Thank this. You
1: than, so Thank you so um, much. Yeah. One of the early films on the city of Mumbai or Bombay is by a German, not Indian, Paul Zills. And it is called Bombay, The Story of Seven Eyes, made in 1945. I, read, I wrote a book on, on you did, this. You did, yes. But uh, unfortunately, I could not find this film. I'm still in search of this film. I'm still searching at the British Film mm. Institute or other archives, or uh, mm. Library of Congress or whatever. If you have any, any clue, I think we'll have a fantastic document on this city in 1945. I have written a book on Zills, which was published by Goethe Institute in Mumbai in 2003. I'm in search of the film, as I I say, now, even now. I think when we talk about some of the significant films about the city of Bombay or Mumbai, we should not divine fiction and non-fiction.
0: No, no, certainly.
1: For the first three or four years, I had curated the film program for the Kala Gora Art Festival in Mumbai. My curatorial imagination Played around the city and cinema, and I would screen films in open parking lot, in front, just in front of Watson Hotel, right, uh, which is still extant. Bombay lyrics was one popular part of the program, only uh, lyrics uh, pertaining to the city of Mumbai. We have this very well known. Uh, uh,
0: I hope somebody's recorded it because I want to see it. <laughs>
1: So in this parking lot, open space, street urchins would gather. Street urchins at so the poor or from the street. And they start dancing. And along with, in the presence of, when the, these songs are played, in the presence of the elite and the rich of city, You can imagine this Bunyal. Yeah,
0: it's the uh, 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 cinema, cinema within cinema, a uh, cinema exactly. outside yeah. cinema at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Watson
1: Hotel as a witness. The other films evoking bombay or Bombay spirit at its core are some of the fiction films such as Entire Oeuvre, as I said before, of Saeed Mirza's Arvind Desai ki Ajib Laasthan, 1978, Albert Pinto ko Gussa hai, 1980, Mohan Joshi Hazir Ho, 1983, Salim Langade pe Matro, 1989, and Naseem, the last film of his, 1995. In 1977 78, many of us don't know, Said Mirza had also made a couple of documentary films called The Problem of Urban Housing.
0: No, I've not heard of it, yes.
1: Problem of Urban Housing and Slum Eviction. These films are made by Saeed Mirza before he started making fisher films from the city. And that brings to our immediate memory Anand Patwadan's film, Bombay our City, Hamara Shahar in nineteen eighty-five. And Uma Segal's film Shelter. Uma Segal made very interesting film in nineteen eighty-two. Of course he died very early. And all these films of the eighties are very significant to the city of Mumbai. Why these films were made in all in nineteen eighties, I, I still I'm still puzzled. Why eighties? Well all these films come together and, 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 and talk about the city, questions about the city. Polemical, polemically and also dialectically. Along with this, again, nobody talks about this film. Money calls film Arrival, 1980, again, It makes our study of Bombay city fascinating. It's about the, the labour and capital arrival. It's an extremely important short film and is produced by a government body called Prince division. And when you add fiction films such as Vishnu Mathu's Pehla Dhyay, 1981, or Kumar is from Tarang, 1984, or Vinod Chopra's, Parinda, 1989. Our city of Bombay becomes quite fascinating in, in in terms of academic studies, also non-academic studies. It becomes dialectical and subaltern too. This subaltern aspect interests me, this sub- subalternity evoked in the poetry of or P- Pawada of Sheikh. If you listen to Sheikh Povada, you will you will see what Bombay city is, the subaltern or the pro- proletarian city, Narayan Surve or Namdev Jashar, and many others. We can, we can add Basu Chatterjee's films such as Piak Kagar, and many others not excluding Chaltika Namgadi, earlier one, 1958, and all the Noah films that Raj Khosla made about the city of Mumbai. This this gives us a very different un, un, underground character of the city of Mumbai. I have curated several programs on this aspect, on this, this subject, and uh, found uh, Bombay is a bottomless pit. You can never, never reach that pit. I,
0: I, I wish uh, at some point in future, uh, I'm uh, asking Rohan to, if we could consider running a brief uh, film festival uh, with films as you listed on Bombay as, as its uh, protagonist, because this is a fascinating list in itself. Um, And I'm so relieved that you did not give me the, the usual suspects. Uh, That's, that's, uh, that's what makes me even more grateful and uh, encouraged. So I move to my um, last section, last couple of questions. Um, How, does cinema contribute to the profile of Bombay or the rise of the profile of Bombay as a city, both positively and negatively? And allied to this is the question of the ways in which the reputation of Bombay as a city of dreams um, is born. All of these things probably happen since the 1970s or so. Um, I could be mistaken here, but I'd at some point in future like to to um, explore a little more about that transition moment in the 80s. Today, perhaps we won't have the time. But to come back to this question, how does Bombay emerge as the city of dreams um, through films and through um an interplay between the rise of uh, Hindustani or mainstream films and the city of Bombay kind of happening together since uh, the early 20th century and certainly since the mid 20th century.
1: First of all, the city of Bombay will negate this term positive and negative. That doesn't exist as binary. No, right. It right. doesn't believe in this negative positive. City is city, which, which is a container of all the sentiments and, and 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 whatever it doesn't believe in so-called morality you know it's, it's become very middle class this disc- course discourse otherwise bombay as mayapuri the city of maya of illusion is not a matter of fabrication unlike calcutta bombay is simply a su swap nair nagari and not do swap near nagari it is generic city bombay is a generic city that exists everywhere in India in various forms. Not any municipal boundaries define its extent. The representative value of Bombay arises primarily from the films it produces that we talk about. This so-called popular film, not only popular film, all kinds of films. I don't even divide art, film and commercial But These binaries don't exist, they are all, all fabricated, artificial. The widely popular Hindi film known as Masala, uh, that I referred to earlier, is at the the core. What is interesting to me, pickle factory, mind you, this pickle factory of Bollywood is very important. (laughs) What pickle we produce. And this container produces such fantastic variety of pickles. We don't know. Pickle is important in terms of uniting India. It's pickle that unites India. Is popular Bollywood song that in once I asked question some question to a friend of mine, what is the glue which which joins or sustains India together? He said cricket. I said Bollywood song. I'm not sure. But this pickle factory, I think at this moment this this pickle factory idea emerged in my mind this morning. It's new new idea.
0: And I I'm warning you that I'm going to use it as a- a headline of the episode. I'm I'm certainly
1: robbing you of of it. (laughs) Please do. You know the variety of pickles that this country has. All kinds of pickles our grandmas and her her mother produce from vegetables, from fruits or whatever. And we deliciously or uh, we relish that pickle. The pickle is not being produced today so much, which was produced in the 60s. So we need to produce more and more pickle. Pickle factory has to be more prosperous. What is interesting to me, it is the very, very city that has created some of the most rigorous artistic form. This I'm not again, I'm not again creating any binary, but this is important. The same city has created rigorous artistic form, not Delhi or not even Calcutta has done this, this kind of rigor. And this, uh, this is, um, this includes, this rigorous artistic forms, includes cinema. Look at the works of Manikol and Kumar Shahani. The extreme risk-taking, one when you, are, you, you use the word risk-taking, this is the risk-taking in art. The, the painter says on, once said, one brush stroke on the canvas is risk to my life. That kind of sensitivity that Bombay allows you to develop. The city is brutal otherwise, a very brutal city. But this this very brutal city has that, those spaces and those pockets where you find Kumar Shani or Manikal And they wrote most rigorous essays on cinema, most rigorous. Calcutta never wrote that, you know. Both theoretical and practical. If you look at the film, Uski Roti, for example, is such, such a risk-taking, I call it Prayoga film, or Maya Darpun, for example. Calcutta never did that. Calcutta did that very narrative form. Gattag did that. Ritik Gattag was the teacher. And he went into a very different plane altogether. you know. The way he explored mythology, yes. for example, songs, for example. He never shied away from this commercial film or the, or the popular cinema and song. Bombay had that spirit. Bombay had the Gattagian spirit in a way. Bombay had that range and depth of polemical edge. It is a city on the edge always. Bombay is such a city. It's always on the edge. It doesn't look like. But it is, it's the city which doesn't make you very comfortable. It's the city which makes you on the edge. It's the city which which assures you nothing will happen to you. Don't worry. But at and the both, same
0: time. And both at the same time.
1: Both at the same time. This is a very, very interesting aspect of the city.
0: It's, 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 it's that irony. I'd sort of um, like now to conclude the episode on and lead on to a last question because it very neatly dovetails into my last question your last observation
1: Just one sentence that i wrote i think is important uh, sure. sentence bombay exists in a simultaneous state of renaissance and degradation is <sighs> it, that cheating.
0: yes yes and 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 Again, building on that observation that Bombay exists on the simultaneous plane of uh, Renaissance and degradation at the same time. And there must be a certain uh, temporality of Bombay, a particular Bombay time that connects with that sensibility you called Bombayness. Um, so I, I, I move to my final question, and uh, this is probably the final question only for this episode. Otherwise I have 699 more questions (laughs) to say the list to you. And I'll be asking them sooner or later with your indulgence, but to the last question of this episode uh, of Bombay Born, the series that we are running on Bombay, the 10 episode series, what are the ways in which um, sort of joining your earlier points? What are the ways in which cinema, performs in a certain sense as an, as an archive of the city of Bombay, uh, captures the city of Bombay for posterity as, um, as an archive to study, going back into its pasts and looking forward to its future, sitting as it were on what seems to me from your observation like a perpetual present of sorts.
1: Thank you for raising this question, it is extremely important, the archival point of view. Because that will, that will erase this binary between popular and non-popular, <laughs> art and commerce, whatever. Uh, in many ways Bombay does that. It is it's, it's now a very important point for all of us and the younger generation particularly, why it is important to archive why it is important to conserve and preserve this popular cinema. Why it is important for an archive is not to sit in value judgment. Many, I've seen many have done that, which is dangerous, very, very fatal to cinema. Uh, it's this popular cinema, which gives me the archive of Bombay. This B and C film that give me the sense of Bombay. It is popular cinema, you know, you will find some or the other some parts of Bombay depicted there. Most of it is the Marine Drive or, or South Bombay. Yes. But there are also other parts, you know, if, we, if we look at it more carefully. We haven't done that. We haven't seen popular cinema like an archive, as you are talking about. And this is important. What you re- re- say about the archival is an extremely important aspect that, that connects Bombay-ness. Bombiness, again, I say generic term. This Bombiness exists a um, few months back. I was in my village and I was uh, I went to a hair cutting saloon which was called Bombay Hair Cutting Saloon. Bombay is everywhere, everywhere across India in some form or the other. And Bombay also became pan Indian because of the costume, the fashion design that it, it created, the hairstyles hair that it created. Every hair. hair Hair cutting saloon will have Rajesh Kanna hairstyle or whatever. You know, the popular film star outside or sadhana or sadhana cut or bobby cut or whatever. So all these were accepted by the people of India at large. So this this is also another kind of expand Indian acceptance in in popular popular living. But what you are saying is the important because we have to make the study of popular film, whether it's, it's, it's uh, Bombay or any other city. The popular film, I'm worried about this t- today's digital filmmaking practice. I don't know how many digital digital films will survive. Whatever is survived, uh, has survived is celluloid. And because of the celluloid, we have converted that into digital. It's not digital to digital. It's, it's the whole tennis, telecine has been done from celluloid to digital. And therefore I'm able to see Lumiere's 1895 film. Otherwise I would not be able to see that film, you know. So this is highly worrying point of view to how to archive Bombay city, Bombayness, or whatever we call it. This is important unless, unless I know how Bombay was in 1940s or 30s. And now what has happened to the city of Bombay? how it has changed, how its behavior has changed, how its language has changed. This is important, I think, and the censor board should have more focus on these aspects. These aspects, and also moralism, the history of moralism. Suppose someone wants to do a PhD on history of moralism. He or she will definitely go to archive and see what what parts of the film were cut by the censor board. We don't have that. We don't have those parts. We should have more than, the number of archives should be more than the number of states in this country. There should be 30 archives in this country. We don't have that. You, you understand the void that we have created, our generation. The, 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 the kind of absence of knowledge or information that we have created for the younger generation is massive. It's so massive the younger generation uh, doesn't care about it. It's so much. So, archive will the popular film will give us, and it take any any popular film. We don't know some popular film except very well known, which uh, we, come back to us again and again, like some of the films that I recited at Bombay Film. You have not heard, you said no, no, no. So these, these are important films that we should we should preserve and create an archive of Bombay City through popular film, so popular idiom, this language we began with. The Bambaya language. So, if we, if someone wants to study language,
0: for example, uh, I I have a brief question. This is um, a query, really straightforward query. There is there used to be this provision. I don't know if it exists anymore. For every book published in India, a copy to be sent over to the National Library was a legally mandatory requirement. I um, mean, yes. if you published a book you had by law to send a copy to the National Library, which would sort of serve as um, a repository of record, an archive of record of sorts. I don't know if every publication uh, complies with this this requirement anymore, but is there a similar provision or requirement for every film made in India to be submitted somewhere? Is Can, that,
1: yes. can that
0: be a first step to pass a law whereby we require every filmmaker to submit a copy for the record to a central archive somewhere I suppose to be created
1: It sounds very good on paper I had asked this question to Pekanayar Sab when he was the director of the National Film Archive of India I wrote a small book on National Film Archive of India giving a lot of statistics and I asked the same question that you are asking now whether we have a legal provision like the printed books which go to, a copy goes to the central library yeah. he, he just smiled at me. You know what happens? suppose every film goes to the National Film Archive what will happen to the space they don't have the space is not not uh, earlier it was print twenty, 20 Dubai, you no know? big big cans uh, it's not just one small CD or whatever. That's right. And archival principle is that archive should have the original format, original copy, not not, uh, a copy of a copy, no. So if you have produced a film in 35mm, then all the debugs should go to the film archive. If you go to the film archive today, you will understand what kind of problems are they facing. So therefore, we should have as many archives as possible. As many archives as possible. Every state should have the archives, and this whole idea of merger that has happened today—you uh, know about it. National Film Development. Uh, we are not going into it, but I'm, I'm just thinking about. I wrote an article in Indian Express about this archiving. Hmm.
0: I I so read that, this yes. is,
1: uh, I don't know how to find a way out. This is a very good sounding proposition, but is it practical? If not. What ways can we find in this digital time is fine, but old film. I'm still sure there must be lying some deeper deba- somewhere. Some cans, big cans, <clears throat> thirty-five mm cans, big, very big cans, and whole whole pile of that. It has to be regularly checked. This should be regularly rewound. Otherwise, it gets fungus.
0: Even even um, simply keeping it uh, in a place for a number of years will lead to to its uh, getting rotten over a period of time. And, and, um, yeah,
1: it's about... It has a life of about 125 yeah. years. So, right. so, so my um, argument, I say it publicly, shift the film archive to the Himalayas. Pune is not the right place. Because of the... Quite, gender, you know?
0: quite possible. And um, there are just so many... Um, other aspects of films made circulating and running in India over the last hundred years that I'd love to ask you about. Um, But then we have run out of time. The only request I can make you in this context is um, to come back again um, and I will uh, work out some subterfuge or another to <laughs> get to you in future i cannot thank you enough mr gangar for for thank giving you. us your time not just your time but a great deal of attention over the last uh, few days that we've been talking about with so much homework and with so much warmth i could not ask for anything more um I hope our our listeners will uh, be enriched beyond enriched really as I was, and um, we 'll have more episodes on cinema and certainly on Bombay in um, the forthcoming uh, days and months and years. Thank you so much once again and I bid you goodbye Um, we'll be back with another episode of history chatter next week thank you so much do please remember to subscribe and give us your feedback on this episode and other episodes thank you very much
1: I'm grateful to you I'm sure it has gone very well smoothly